Hello and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. Global markets have been primarily selling off of late, and investors are bracing themselves for what many economists are predicting is an inevitable recession by early 2023. In the UK, the Office of National Statistics reported that the country's GDP fell by 0.3% in August, an unexpected drop driven by a sharp decline in manufacturing and maintenance work, which slowed down the oil and gas sector. Also, the International Monetary Fund lowered its forecast for the global economy in 2023, warning that conditions could deteriorate amid multiple headwinds, including high inflation and rising interest rates. Joining us today is Tom Stevenson, Fidelity International Investment Director, who optimistically notes that the time to get interested as an investor is when everyone thinks it's the end of the world. Tom joins us from London to share his perspectives on economies and opportunities in the United Kingdom, Europe, and globally. Tom joins host Brian Borsakowski. This podcast was recorded on October 12th, 2022. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada ULC or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or an endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments. I thought we'd start off by the big IMF report yesterday that uh, said that uh, global growth is going to slow to 2.7% in 2023. That's down from 3.2% they predict in 2022. Um, and, And they use some strong language about the economy saying the worst is yet to come some, some some dire phrases throughout the report and just wanted to get your thoughts start off about what you think of that and uh, is the worst yet to come? Yeah, I mean, well, I, I mean, I think broadly speaking, uh, I would agree. I think that we are heading into uh, uh, an almost certain recession on this side of the Atlantic uh, in, in continental Europe and the UK. I think there's a question mark over how things pan out uh, on, on your side of the pond. Um, but it is definitely um, getting getting more difficult. And um, I mean, the IMF's figures were pretty, um, uh, pretty daunting, uh, as you say, that 2.7%. But I think they also had some scenario analysis, which says there's a, you know, a non-trivial um, chance that actually growth could be under 2% or even under 1% uh, next year. So it's going to feel like uh, a global recession uh, next year. And I think that's what markets are are, are Getting their heads around, they're getting used to the idea that uh, that we are heading into a pretty serious slowdown um, generally around the world. So, um, you know, you were t- uh, talking about the different sides of the pond. There, lots going on in the UK right now. A lot that maybe um, advisors in Canada may not be as familiar about, especially not as familiar as with you. What is happening there? There's been a lot of chatter about, uh, you know, a bond crisis, uh, pension funds. Give give us kind of the lay of the land. What's happening, and what does that mean? For the country and maybe the broader economy at large. Yeah, well, I mean, we, we are we are battling with all the same problems that everyone else is battling with uh, when it comes to uh, energy costs and the geopolitical uh, situation, uh, inflation, rising interest rates. But at the same time, we've managed to layer on top of that 
uh, a kind of self-inflicted um, uh, situation as well. So, uh, you know, as I'm sure you're all aware, you know, we, we have a new government uh, here in the UK and, the, and it's a government with a very clear idea about how they think that the, the problems can be solved and, 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 and the plan is to generate growth. Uh, and uh, in order to do that, the government has set in train um, uh, a, a program of uh, unfunded um, uh, tax cuts and fiscal stimulus to support people through through a cost of living crisis. So the cost of this is something like 45 um, billion pounds. And as of yet, there's no real explanation of where that money is going to come from. That's really spooked the markets. Um, uh, the, the bond market in particular, but also the currency markets. We've seen the, the pound fall to uh, historically very low levels against uh, most other currencies, but especially uh, the dollar. And it's the bond market which has really borne, borne the brunt of, uh, of the issue. We've seen um, uh, government bond yields rise. They were already rising, of course, on the back of inflation and, and uh, rising interest rates, but they've, they've risen even further on these concerns about about the government's uh, fiscal policy, and um, uh, to the extent that uh, it started to cause problems for pension funds, and this is a this is an unexpected uh, development, really. But but what what has emerged is that pension funds had set up uh, uh, some some um, risk management measures, which involved uh, derivative uh, contracts which really were not prepared for the for the scale of the rise in bond yields that we've had. And what happened was that the counterparties to those derivative trades have called for more collateral. The pension funds, in order to raise that collateral, have had to sell assets. And basically, they've sold the assets that they can sell easily. That's more guilt. So it's so the problem in the in the government bond market has fed on itself. They've had sales. Uh, which have which have increased bond yields even further than they were um, already, and 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 it's beginning to spill over into other sectors. So just today, for example, we had the first um, property fund closing itself to redemptions, and that's because these pension funds are selling not just gilts, not just government bonds, but they're also selling other assets such as property, or they're trying to sell other assets like property, but of course it's a very liquid market, the property market, and they're struggling to do so. So we've got a global problem, but we've managed to layer on top of that a UK-specific problem as well. And 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 now uh, I've heard about a deadline on Friday, but it sounds like um, there may be some sort of deadline, maybe not. W what is that? Yeah. So what I didn't say in my explanation there was that the Bank of England felt obliged to step in to that situation, to um, uh, to to buy bonds to essentially stabilise the market, and initially it worked pretty well, um, and they and the and the yield on um, uh, government bonds, long dated government bonds, came down quite nicely, um, but it started to rise again. And the reason it started to rise again is that the Bank of England said at the outset, when it started this support program, this is a this is a short term measure. It's a kind of it's a it's a band aid to stick on this to sort it out. It's a two week program, and at the end of that two week program, which is Friday, it's two days time. That program is going to come to an end. So you've got a bit of time, pension funds, to sort out your risk management. Um, also implicit, I think, was you've got a bit of time, UK government, to maybe rethink some of those measures which have spooked the market. 
Um, but we're going to stop that program of uh, support on Friday. Now, at the same time, it was reported in the Financial Times that the Bank of England sort of said behind the scenes, well, actually, um, yeah, we're not going to we're not going to leave you stranded. We will we, we will help out. And that mixed message on the one hand, we're going to stop. And on the other hand, we'll still be there as a backstop has really confused the market. And so, frankly, no one knows what's going to happen between now and Friday. And certainly no one knows what's going to happen on Monday morning if and when the markets wake up and the bank has stopped being the buyer of last resort. Is, is there a broader implication here? Uh, like, can what's happening in the UK trickle globally? I mean, is there anything that Canadian advisors need to be concerned about? How should we view what's going on there? Well, I think it's a good question because I think no one really knows how widespread this kind of liability-driven investment strategy uh, which has caused the problem, how widespread that is. I mean, these, these were strategies which kind of made sense for a low interest rate environment. They, they enabled pension funds to manage their long-term liabilities. But what they didn't anticipate was the speed uh, and scale of the rise in, um, in bond yields and interest rates that we've had. So these schemes were dreamt up by the, by the investment banks you know, years ago. And they made a lot of sense at the time, but they've been blown out of the water by the scale of the movement in, in bond yields. And we don't know. We don't know how widespread these, um, uh, these types of measures um, have been around the world. So it, I guess that's the concern. Yeah. Uh, just before we move on, just about uh, the mini budget and how will the UK pay for tax cuts? Yeah. And, and this is absolutely the problem. So, you know, the, 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 the government has a very clear uh, agenda that it is, it is focused on uh, delivering growth. It believes that the problems in the economy will be solved by reigniting uh, growth. It's a, it's, a, it's a kind of neo-Thatcherite, Reaganite approach to running the economy. Um, it's, it's quite extreme. Um, and uh, it requires paying for, and and the markets have kind of voted with their feet. They said, "We just don't know how you're going to how you're going to pay for this." Because the obvious way to pay for those kind of uh, tax cuts is spending cuts. And um, you know, will the government be prepared to push through significant spending cuts? We're talking about perhaps sixty billion pounds worth of spending cuts. Would the government be prepared to push those through in the face of the worst cost of living crisis in a generation? And, and that's the question. Um, so uh, you have a telegraph. You, you write for the telegraph. You have, a, you have an article coming out. I think it's tomorrow. Everyone should look out for it. Just talking about um, uh, all sorts of things, markets, stocks, bonds. One, and I got a preview. So thanks for sending that. Uh, and one of the uh, parts that I found interesting was just um, how stock markets have decreased in valuations. Um, I think you had said they're trading about 15 times earnings. There may be room to go lower. What is your view of stock market valuations and, and, and you know, where the market could, could go from here? Yeah, well, I feel like we're at a bit of a watershed uh, in the markets at the moment. So what's happened so far this year? For the first nine months of this year, We've had a, you know a slow depreciation in the in the in the value of of the of the stock market. You know it's not been a sudden crash, but it's been death by a, a thousand cuts. 
And in terms of valuations, you know, just looking at the US market as a, as a benchmark, um, the S&P 500 was trading at 23 or 24 times expected earnings at the beginning of the year. It's now trading, as you said, at about 15 times uh, expected earnings. So that's a very significant um, uh, reduction in, in the valuation multiple uh, on, on the market. Now, what hasn't happened so far is the other side of the, um, uh, of the uh, market valuation equation, which of course is earnings, corporate earnings. And that's um, the reason I say we're at a watershed point is because we are you know, literally just about to um, embark on the third quarter earnings season. So um, Friday, we've got results from you know, some, some significant Wall Street banks. They always kick off um, earnings season, carries on next week. And then we've got earnings coming through for about the next three or four weeks. And they're going to be absolutely crucial because at the moment, the expectation is that earnings uh, will, you know, just about hold, hold above, above water. You know, there will be very modest growth. Now, admittedly, a lot of that growth is being driven by the still buoyant um, energy sector. If you strip energy out of the equation, then everything else doesn't look quite so clever. But earnings are basically holding up. So the concern is if we get a, a disappointing earnings season. If um, uh, if earnings don't come through marginally positive, but but you know they fall, then I think that even that reduction in the valuation multiple from 23, 24 down to 15 is not going to be enough. And then if we've got lower earnings and investors are only prepared to pay, let's say, 13 times earnings. Then I think you're looking at an S&P 500, not of 3,500, but probably 3,000 or even maybe a little bit below that. So you've got to put that in context. At the start of this year, the S&P 500 was trading at 4,800. That's a very significant uh, downturn. So I think where we where we stand is it's uh, we're it's all eyes on earnings season. That's absolutely crucial. If earnings hold up, then maybe you know, the market has corrected far enough. If earnings don't hold up, then I think the market has got a little bit further to fall. So, which, which, which then, you know, the question that I'm sure people have is, and no one should time the market, but if you think earnings are gonna fall, do you wait? Do you start other opportunities now? How do you kind of play this continued uncertainty? Yeah, absolutely. And, and that was actually the, 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 the topic of the, the article, which you, you kindly gave, gave me a plug for. Um, so, because what I, what, you know, what I think is, you know, it's impossible to time the market. Everyone knows that it's impossible to time the tops and the bottoms of the market precisely. So therefore, by definition, you're either going to be a bit early or you're going to be a bit late on your trade um, either way. So I, I just posed the question, is it better to be early or is it better to be late? And my view is quite strong view is that it's better to be early because um, the problem and it's human nature actually not to be early. It's human nature, because if you're looking at the, the potential to um, lose money in the short term, it's human nature to say, I don't want to do that and to, and to hold back. Um, and, it's, and, and what you're looking for is confirmation from the markets or from the economy that things are actually improving before you before you try and get into the market. The trouble with that approach is that once the market has started moving upwards, it's tempting to say, mm, I've missed out on that. I'm just going to wait for the market to pull back a bit so I can get a slightly better entry point. And it keeps going up. And you just wait and you wait for that pullback and you wait. To, and eventually you've missed out on the whole of that upturn. Whereas if you get in early, yes, you take a bit of a hit up front, 
but you're in at the bottom, you're fully invested at the bottom, and you get the full benefit of the uh, of the recovery. So, you know, I think that, you know, we're not at the bottom, probably. The market probably has got a little bit further to fall. But having said that, I would rather take a little bit of a hit now and be fully invested when we are at the bottom to get the benefit of that upswing. You, the article also talks about bonds. Now, everyone knows bond prices have done very well over the last many, many years as uh, interest rates have gone down from, you know, the highs of the, the 80s down to ultra low levels. Um, yeah. Now they're coming back up. And so what yeah. is your view on bonds? Are they a good investment now and get a better yield than you could before? What yeah. should people think of that? I think the bond market is super interesting uh, at the moment because for years, um, it's just not it's just not looked like uh, you, you would want to be um, invested in bonds. Bond yields were very low, um, and the expectation was that interest rates would kind of stay low for low for longer. That was that was the expectation. We had the, we've had a very significant correction. So uh, interest rates from being you know zero or or negative are now back up to what we would call normal levels uh, again. And I think that we're at the stage now where a, you're able to lock in um, a pretty attractive income from a, a, a safe government bond for the first time in many years. And B, I think in anticipation of the recession that we started this conversation about, we are going to move into recession and central banks are simply not going to be able to sustain interest rates at the kind of levels they are at the moment when we move into recession, regardless of what's happening uh, with the inflation outlook. So I'm I'm pretty sure that at some point during 2023, interest rates are going to start moving uh, lower again. So at that point, you know, an investor has locked in a decent income, and they have the potential to participate in a in a capital gain as well as interest rates uh, come down. So for the first time in many years, um, uh, we like the look of bonds. I, and and just on that point, if it, it, you know if you're locking in at a higher yield today what does that mean for the stock market would you know it seems me people might prefer the bonds and lock in that guaranteed rate than then put into the stock market does that mean there'll be more stock market volatility until we see rates come down well i mean that that is a good question and um and really uh, bonds are for the first time in a long time a viable alternative to uh to shares i mean one of the things which is supported the stock market uh, in recent years is there hasn't really been any alternative. Cash has not been an alternative because you've been losing money in real inflation adjusted terms. Bonds have not been an alternative because they've been offering a, a you know pitifully low uh, income. So for now, I think um, you know uh, it, 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 it puts pressure on on the stock market. However, once interest rates start moving down again um, as we move towards a, a recession. Then I think uh, the the arithmetic, the valuation arithmetic around some of those sectors which are particularly attuned to the movement in interest rates, and I'm thinking in particular about technology stock, for example, uh, which really have suffered as interest rates and bond yields have risen because the value of the, their future earnings uh, is discounted back at a higher rate. It's less valuable in today's money when interest rates and bond yields are higher. As interest rates and bond yields fall, then I think that those growth sectors of the economy actually start to look quite interesting. And that will be particularly true 
um, uh, when growth becomes very hard to find because we're in a recessionary environment. In that environment, companies like the technology stocks, which are able to deliver reliable um, growth uh, in earnings, will seem all the more attractive. So I think the worst may be over for those uh, high-tech high sectors. Um, just to talk about some of the implications on rising rates uh, and inflation, but you know, in Canada, the housing market is always a major issue, a big contributor to our economy. Everybody's kind of worried about what's going to happen there as mortgages rise. What are you seeing? You know, I think the UK is is, is similar. What are you What are you seeing um, in terms of rising rates when it comes to the housing market? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I think that the I think the UK housing market and the Canadian housing market are not dissimilar. We don't have the we don't have the benefit of those lovely 30-year fixed rate mortgages uh, in the US. So, and that's a, that's a particular issue uh, for us here because over the next year or so, um, a, a high number, I mean, we're talking, you know, hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people with fixed rate mortgages are seeing those fixed deals rolling over. And um, beginning of this year, you could have probably fixed a five-year mortgage at uh, 1.6, 1.7%, something like that, amazingly low. Um, uh, today, that same mortgage would be fixed at maybe five, five and a half, six percent So there are going to be a lot of people who next year are going to find not only have their heating bills gone up a lot, um, their mortgages are going to go up a lot next year and probably the actual quantum of the increase is much greater for the mortgage than it is for the heating bill so i think that you know if we're thinking about what might be driving the economy towards recession uh, in the uk i would say that the housing market is a is a very significant factor i i think that uh, the housing market has been you know uh, has enjoyed spectacular growth in recent years and i think um you know, the, the, the best is very much in the past for the housing market. So so what is the broader implication uh, of that? Maybe, you know, lower prices, a slowing housing market. What does that mean for, you know, our, our two economies? Yeah, well, I mean, um, I mean, I, you, you mentioned in your introduction, I think the um, uh, the GDP figures for, for the UK, which came out this morning, um, we had an unexpected 0.3% um, decline in uh, GDP in the month of August and also in the three months to August. Um, the, the economy had been expected to sort of tread water um, over that period. So that was a surprisingly bad figure. And I think what's driving that um, is in part the consumer facing part of the economy. There is just there is just more nervousness around. People are holding back. Uh, from from unnecessary uh, spending, and and I think that process has really only just begun, partly because of that mortgage issue that we've just talked about. So I think 2023 is going to be, you know, a really tricky time for the for the for the UK economy. But I'd come back to that conversation that we've just had about uh, the stock market and being early or or being late, because from an investment point of view. Stock markets don't move on the same cycle as, as the economy. You know, they're linked, of course they are, but there's a lag. There's a very significant lag uh, in, the, in the economy versus the market. The market always moves first. Prices move first because the stock market is a, is a discounting mechanism. It looks to the future uh, and that gap can be as much as six months. So I would say that, you know, an investor should absolutely not be waiting for confirmatory 
evidence from the economy that things are picking up again. The stock market will, will move, the stock market will hit a low and, and start rising again, maybe six months before uh, the evidence is clear in the, in the real economy. Um, just, just to stay on the stock market, um, it, it, where are you seeing opportunities in the market? Are, are, there, are there places that actually do look attractive today? It, there are some. Um, there, there aren't many, to be honest. Um, I, I think, you know, in the short term, from a tactical point of view, I think people should be prepared for a, a movement down. But it's not all bad news. One market that we particularly like at the moment, actually, is the Japanese stock market. And the reason why is because, um, well, first of all, it's a very cheap market. Uh, it, it's extremely out of favor, um, particularly overseas buyers have really not been interested in Japan uh, for, 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 for many years. The second, uh, the, the second supportive factor, I think, is the economic point. The UK and North America kind of came out of the COVID um, pandemic. Uh, you know, quite a while ago now, enjoyed a resurgence in activity, growth, people got back out and they were going to restaurants again and they were traveling again and, and things picked up and we've now kind of moved through that and we've moved into uh, more of a recession environment. Japan is on a, marches to a completely different beat, it always has done, um, but at the moment in particular it marches to a different beat. It's just pulling out of uh, COVID. Um, it's just opening up, in fact, just this week, um, uh, the travel sector reopened to, to tourists again. And I think what we're going to see is a big uh, uh, unleashing of pent-up demand in Japan. So I think the economy is actually in, in, in good shape. Um, uh, the corporate sector is in good shape. Uh, it's got cash on the balance sheets. It's, it's, it, 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 it's very robust. And at the same time, valuations are really very, very low. So it's quite an unusual market in global terms because it's not it's not affected by the the same issues as the rest of the world. Interest rates, for example, you know, everyone, most countries around the world are following the lead of the US and they're doing that because they're terrified that their uh, currencies will uh, depreciate um, uh, significantly if they don't follow suit and raise their interest rates. So what the Fed is doing is driving uh, the rest of the world, arguably, into an interest rate driven uh, recession. So thanks very much, Jay Powell. But um, Japan is different. Japan, is, Japan has, has set its stall by um, uh, continuing to stimulate its economy. It's got a much lower inflation rate. Inflation is running at less than 3% in Japan, so it doesn't need to worry about inflation. So it's keeping interest rates rock bottom. It's not too fussed about the uh, decline in the value um, of the um, uh, of the uh, yen. So, um, you know, it, it doesn't have that same headwind of rising interest rates that the rest of us have. It's a, it's a very interesting market. Um, what about the U.S.? I mean, obviously, that's, you know, always the big one. Uh, you talked a little bit about corporate earnings and, and valuations on the S&P 500. But generally, um, what are your thoughts on, on the U.S. market today? Well, I mean, I think that what, what the Fed is doing is that the, the, the Fed is being absolutely explicit that its top priority is getting on top of inflation. Uh, and, you know, just as Paul Volcker did in the early 1980s, uh, Jay Powell is going to do what he needs to do uh, to do that. And if that means um, pushing the economy into recession, well, so be it. That's the trade off that, that he accepts. So I don't think I, I, I think the outlook uh, is 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 not great uh, in the U.S. Having said that, it is 
the the U.S. economy is is absolutely driven by uh, uh, consumer spending, by 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 consumption. And if you look at the uh, if you look at the jobs market, um, last week's uh, jobs figures surprisingly strong. Uh, it's still pretty robust the the U.S. economy. And so I think the U.S. has always been a pretty defensive market. You know, there's a there's a there's a flight to safety element. Uh, that, you know, when, when things go bad, the world moves to the dollar and it moves to, to U.S. assets. So I think, you know, I think we're adopting a kind of barbell approach. You know, we've got this great value contrarian opportunity in Japan. And I think at the other end, we've got this great defensive um, uh, uh, market in, in the U.S. So I'm not too keen on the bit in the middle. The U.K. and Europe, I think, you know, has got some real problems uh, ahead of it. But on either side, you know, in the east and west, I think Japan and the U.S. look like the places to be. Great. We just have a couple minutes left. I got I just uh, maybe got a quick rapid fire here. We've got just a few last things that I think would be great for people to hear from you about. But you mentioned the dollar um, and, and people have been piling into the U.S. dollar. That's, you know, the Canadian currency has is at a lower level than it's been in a while. And, and among other currencies, what's the implication of that? Does that continue? Well, I think the, the the most important implication from an investment point of view is that um, it's pretty bad news for uh, those American companies which earn a significant proportion of their profits uh, overseas, um, and that's and that's an important uh, factor in the uh, in the leading U.S. Uh, companies. What we've seen actually is, uh, and I'm sorry, the reason for that, of course, is that you know on translation back into dollars all those overseas earnings are worth less when the dollar is strong and overseas currencies are, are weak. What we've seen is a, is a real divergence in stock market performance between the, the second tier, if you like, companies which are more dependent on the US economy and the bigger companies which have more international facing activities. So it's a good time to be, uh, to be a, 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 a more insular, uh, U.S. focused uh, company at the moment. So I think from an investment perspective, that's the major implication of the uh, of the of the strong dollar. Uh, Credit Suisse has been on a lot of people's uh, radars lately. Um, what, what's what's the latest news news there? Yeah, so I mean, Credit Suisse has uh, has been through a very uh, sticky patch. I mean, I think only only two of the last nine quarters have been uh, profitable. Uh, it's made some bad investments in failed hedge funds. There've been some scandals, uh, some money laundering situations, um, and um, you know, just recently, uh, I think there was there was some real anxiety about whether uh, the problems at Credit Suisse. Uh, would resolve themselves, and indeed, whether they were representative of a more um, of a wider spread problem for for the banking sector. I actually think that the problems at Credit Suisse are pretty idiosyncratic. I think they're company uh, specific, um, and so I, I think there was some talk about: is this another Bear Stearns moment? Is this a Lehman Brothers moment? I, 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 that doesn't that isn't how it feels to me. I don't think I don't think Credit Suisse is in a great space. I think they did um, reassure the markets to to some degree when they went back uh, into the market and 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 bought back three billion dollars worth of bonds. I think that was helpful. Uh, I, I I don't think Credit Suisse is going anywhere, but it's not in a great position. Finally, China's National Congress uh, takes place, kicks off on Sunday. I know you've been following that too. What are your observations or thoughts uh, around what's taking place there? 
I think it might be quite a stabilizing um, uh, event. Uh, I think um, I think a lot of things have been on hold uh, until this um, Congress is out of the way and the position of President Xi is secured for for a, for a third term, an unprecedented third term. I think once once that's happened, then I think you know maybe the 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 country Beijing uh, can focus more on economic growth. Uh, which has kind of put on hold for a couple of years now, while it's focused on more ideological issues. I think if, if economic growth comes back to the forefront, that will be great for China and it will be great for financial markets around the world. Great. Well, well Tom, I'm sure we could talk for another hour and uh, I know you, you'll be back at some point soon, but thank you for doing this. Lots of great insights and, uh, and, and yeah, well, thanks for joining us and we'll see, we'll see where the market goes from here. Thanks very much, Brian. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. You can visit fidelity.ca for more information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter. Thanks again. See you next time.